Well, I've got a little piece of advice for you. And that piece of advice is stop eating alone. Now, if you think you're saving money by not eating out, you may be mistaken. I mean, this is not about the math. This is about the misconnections. Informal time spent with other people leads to new thinking, new opportunities, a new financial gain that can far outweigh the cost of the food itself. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, you may be wondering why we start off a career in business podcast talking about eating. Well, it does relate to that. We do talk about making connections, how you find ideas, how you find work that you love, how you create a business that you love. Those are the things we discuss here every week, taking in real life questions from you, the listeners. If you got a question, just go to 48days.com slash ask Dan and you can leave one there. Questions like the ones we're going to be looking at today. Dan, I cannot imagine living a life where work isn't the highest priority and use of my time. But this, I lost my job a month ago and started a new one this week. I got a text from my boss this morning saying I'm done. I don't know what to do or where to turn. Another one. I have trouble keeping jobs. I need help. And then we go this way. I have an ideal job, but I really hate it. Hi, Dan. I'm on. I'm an over-the-road trucker, but I've hated my job for years. And then someone asks, can I apply for another job in this company after being here for only three weeks? Okay, we got a lot to cover today. Got some fun stuff I want to share with you. I want to share with you a new book that I'm listening to that's pretty stinking profound. Eager to get to that. Our quotation comes from Cesar Chavez, who said, if you really want to make a friend, go to someone's house and eat with him. The people who give you their food give you their heart. Okay, we're going to be talking about that. Resource, I want you to know yourself. You know, so many of the questions that I get from you have to do with, you're not sure which way to turn, not sure what work you love really would be, not sure what kind of business you should start. It starts with looking inward. In 40 Dates of the Work You Love, I say, 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction comes from looking inward first. Look at what you should already know about yourself. We recommend the DISC profile. Got some free content there. Just go and look at it. Go to, go to 48days.com slash DISC. That's D-I-S-C. But if there's anything that has helped people over the years, and this is a resource that I've used with absolutely 100% of the people I've coached over many years. Have them do the DISC profile so we know what your behavioral tendencies are. This doesn't have to do with intelligence, academic background, ability, aptitude. No, it's behavior. How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How are you likely to manage, persuade, sell, encourage, those kind of things? That is so important to know. Now, we have a new team member, Mariah Young, who's dedicated to working with companies to make sure the people they're bringing on board are matched to the right positions. Wow, if you have 
opportunities to be hiring somebody. You want to bring some people in or you've got a team. And, you know, you may be in a dental office where there's 12 of you and you're trying to figure out how can you work together better? Why is it tough to get together? Why is it like pulling teeth to get everybody's input? You may want to have somebody just help you look at the players that are there. Do a team profile. And I love doing those where we put everybody on the team up on a graph on one page, you know, on the wall, we can all look at it together, laugh, have a good time together, but understand each other better. Hey, check it out, 48days.com slash disc. And certainly let us know. You can just shoot a question to me again at 48days.com slash ask Dan if you got questions about that or want to have us help you look at your team together. Okay, now you know where we are time-wise here. We are right on top, depending on when you listen to this. November 14th is that magic day that I talk about where I encourage you to have your goals set. Seven areas of your life. We've given you the resources to do that. This is a critical time because I know that if you have your goals set by November 14th, you're going to have an amazing year when the next year rolls around. If you don't have your goals set, you're likely to repeat what you are doing now. And some of the questions today are from people who have never been really clear on what they're going to. And so what they are in continues. They're stuck. That's why you get stuck when you can't imagine what a better life would look like. Anyway, hope you check that out. I want to encourage you, get excited about it. But November 14th, that's the day that I and hopefully you should have our goals set for the coming year. Now, there's a study out there. I want to talk about this eating thing a little bit. There's a new study just done in September of 2022, just a couple months ago, where they ask families about this process of eating together. Now, you know, everyone knows your family can be a pain in the neck sometimes, but these regular family dinners can be the key to reduce stress levels in the household. 91% of families said that they are less stressed if they spend time eating dinner together as a family. So they surveyed 1,000 adults. 91% of the respondents said their family was less stressed when they share meals together. Sharing meals with others is a great way to reduce stress, boost self-esteem, improve social connection, particularly for kids. I mean, connecting with friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, benefits people beyond stress relief. In fact, this survey found people say sharing a meal reminds them of the importance of connecting with other people. They said it reminds them to slow down and take a break. Now, there's so many ways this has played out. I heard on Entree Leadership, the Dave Ramsey podcast just recently, that people who work there at the Dave Ramsey organization are not allowed to eat lunch at their workstations. Now, that may seem inefficient, Wow, somebody can just keep working while they're eating. No, they're not allowed to do that. They have to go to the cafeteria, even if they brought their own lunch, just because they're going to mingle with other people. And that's where a lot of things happen. Well, you've heard me talk about my now 30-plus year friendship with Dave Ramsey. And that didn't start as a business relationship. It started by going to lunch together with our families after church. Then we both started teaching Sunday school classes together at the same church. And that grew into meeting together to brainstorm about what we might do on a larger scale. Dave, of course, with finances, me with careers. And the four of us 
Dave and Sharon, Joanna and I spent many, many meals together. We went to conferences together, supported each other as our businesses grew. And we still get together for meals. We just recently were in their home, had some meals together, Sharon reflecting on old times. Now, there was a book written. It's been a few years ago. David Bach wrote a book called The Latte Factor. And what he did in that was to tell you how ridiculous it was to spend $3.50 a day for a latte. Showing that if you add that up over 40 years, you know, you'd have more than $50,000. And of course, if you had that invested properly, you'd have close to a million dollars by retirement just by not spending that $3.50 a day. Now that's a mathematical formula. And you can make a case for that. But there's another part of that that is missed totally. Now, Joanne and I spend roughly $1,000 a month on meals at our clubhouse here in our community. Now, it's not because we can't fix meals at our house. We certainly can. But it's because we're meeting people who are our neighbors. Now, again, if we just look at the math on that, that's, well, it's $1,000 a month, that'd be $12,000 a year. $12,000 a year over 20 years at, say, like a 7% return is right at half a million dollars. Now, that's a lot of money if we're looking just at the mathematics. But those meals have opened new doors for me to speak to the CEO roundtable where I've made some really valuable connections. I mean, I probably have between 50 and 60 coffee or lunch meetings. You know, I'm not a coffee drinker. People ask all the time, you know, can I meet you for coffee? Well, sure. I mean, I'm sure I can find something there that I can drink, maybe a little cup of green tea or something. I'm not a coffee drinker. No, never had a cup of coffee in my life. Anyway, not, I don't have a big thing to claim about that at all. Just don't care for it. So, but I'm happy to have coffee meetings because there's always things that I can drink comfortably there. But Joanna and I eat a lot of meals with other people. I mean, most of all my big business decisions have been made over meals. I mean, three years ago, Joanna and I had dinner with a friend of hers and that lady's husband. Well, I hit it off with a guy. We stayed in touch and then invited him to join my mastermind. We continued sharing business ideas. Then we started an investment company together, and now we're negotiating to make a major investment in a company we're really excited about. That started by, you know, eating tacos together. There was a book written, another book written a few years ago, Keith Ferrarzi, and the title was Never Eat Alone and Other Secrets to Success, One Relationship at a Time. Now, you know, I believe in that, but the deal is, it's not just about the math. That's why I started out with the kind of challenging question there, stop eating alone. Well, a lot of people consider just the money, but they miss the idea that eating meals together leads to new thinking, new opportunities, new financial gain that far outweigh, again, the cost of what the food itself is. So be careful how you look at that. You can get your head stuck down on the sand by just thinking, well, gee, I'm not going to go out and spend the money to eat out. Well, if the, if the setting is right, it could give you an amazing return. 
Get to go as far beyond the cost of the food. Well, just challenge your thinking there. Now, people ask me about books that I'm reading. I read a lot. I love reading. My worldview has been more informed and changed by reading than anything else. It still continues to be the biggest funnel for new ideas that I have is the reading that I do. But right now, I'm actually listening to Bono of U2 fame, Bono's new book titled Surrender. It is phenomenal. I love it. It's 576 pages long, so it's a very long book. I'm listening to the audio. The audio is 20 hours and 25 minutes. Again, it's very, very lengthy, but I, I love just hearing the stories. U2 has always been my favorite band. When my boys were little guys, we would go to BMX races, and Joshua Tree was our go-to music in the car. We often had other kids with us, and the Joshua Tree tunes, songs, lyrics were great talking points with the other kids. And Bono's an interesting guy. He's not just your typical, you know, you don't have too many rock stars who are reading Kafka and Shakespeare and the Bible and the things that are certainly more spiritual and philosophical. But he does, and that comes out in his music. And the new book, Surrender, is about 40 of the songs that he's written. So they, they tend to be very, very personal. They relate to things going on in his life. Now, just in terms of the business standpoint, though, I, I love kind of look at the, the overview of this as well. U2 has sold 175 million records worldwide. Bono's received 22 Grammy Awards. Of course, been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, all kinds of accolades. He's now 62 years old. And what they do, these were kids. These four guys met when they were 16 years old. Now they're 62. They've been together for, what, 46 years and what they did is when they started out, they decided they would just split everything equally. So there are four players then, the same four players now. They never split up because no one could fight about the money. No one could. And, and even though, you know, Bono certainly the, the most known character of those four. But with the financial arrangement that they set up, everybody's totally in. Totally in. I love that about, about how they decided to do that. And here they are all these years, 46 years later, and still committed, still creating great music. Now, the continuing anchors that Bono talks about in his book, this book, the continuing anchors have been three things. His wife, Allie, who he met when he was 14 years old, and they're, they're married, his music, and his faith. Those are the three things, his wife, his music, and his faith that have shaped the life that he lives today. But here's four 16-year-olds, you know, with a big dream. They played locally for whoever would show up. And then Bono went from Dublin, Ireland to London to get them signed with a record label. I mean, he knew that was the way they would hopefully get some income so they could buy a van, travel, have bigger crowds and all that. So he went to London just as a kid. And 16 years old, he was aggressive, creative about getting in front of decision makers, but he got rejected by every single label he could find. He had his demo. They had their name by then, U2, but got rejected by everybody. And they talked about just going on with their lives. I mean, Bono had been working at a gas station, and he knew he could go ahead and do that. Uh, the Edge was thinking about going to a local university. 
you know, the other players, Larry and the other guys were thinking about doing something else. And they talked about that and they thought, no, they, they, they really like this music thing. They borrowed uh, roughly $1,500 from family members to go back to London and play in a couple small clubs. They got no contacts, no crowds, but they were mentioned in a little music newsletter. With that, they came back to Dublin and they decided they would host a homecoming concert. Now, homecoming concert implies that they had this phenomenal success in London. And now they're coming back home, and that's what a homecoming tour is, a homecoming concert. They didn't have any of that at all. But that was back before news traveled as readily as it does today. And so they took that one little tidbit that they had been mentioned in the music newsletter, came back to Dublin, and decided they would host a homecoming concert. They booked a hall that would hold 1,200 people. They had 175 who paid a small amount for a ticket. And then they just invited anybody who wanted to come. Bottle says it was mostly homeless people just looking for a warm place to hang out. But you know what happened that night? There was a record producer who did come to that. He did hear them play and offered them their first contract. And of course they went on. Now, how would you like to be a record label who in retrospect realized you had said no to you too? I mean, U2 has made billions of dollars for everybody connected with them over the years. You know, it just uh, it tickles me when I think about books that have been rejected by publishers and then go on to be phenomenal successes. Chicken Soup for the Soul, you know, having sold millions and millions of copies at this point. As a matter of fact, I think they're approaching a billion copies of their books. They were rejected by 133 publishers before Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen found somebody that would produce just a small quantity of these quaint little stories in there to get it out. That's the way so many success stories start. It's usually not easy at the beginning, but if people are persistent, you can be persistent in whatever idea you're working on right now. And what we produce, again, our daily work, our writing, our music, our art, it's a reflection of who we are. And as I was listening to this book, Surrender, I was reminded that my own new book, An Understanding Heart, it's full of my life stories. And I realize now that I wrote those 95 segments to better understand myself. Now, fortunately, and I'm thrilled, just as our music, we Bono's music resonates with us. So many of us can identify with the stories that he tells in his music. And that's true in the feedback that I'm getting on from an understanding heart as well. People are saying, wow, that was my situation. That's my story as well. So we're great. I'm grateful for that. But my, my point here, in one reason I wanted to bring this up is, whatever it is you're doing, don't get up too quickly. Don't just think, eh, people are saying eh, it probably can't be done. Don't just walk away from a great idea at the first mention of that or the first struggle you have or the first time you don't have money to buy groceries and you need to borrow from family members, well, there may still be something worth salvaging there. Stick with it. Work through it. It may become the story of your life, as it has for Bono. Well, let's go to some questions here. Chad says, how do you determine what materials you're going to use as free marketing resources and what you're going to charge for? Thanks, Dan. Appreciate all you do. That's a great question. 
We have a broad range of products at 48 Days, and we have tons and tons of free marketing or free resources. I mean, if you go to 48days.com, you'll see tons of articles in there. You can do a search and get you know, 40 articles on one given topic if you want to. You know, how to turn your ministry into a business. You know, th- those kind of things. You can, you can search for anything. There's thousands and thousands of articles there. There are resources. There are templates for resumes. There are sample job interview questions. I mean, there's so much that's available there. Frankly, most of the material that I have in my books is available free somewhere on our, on our website. So just because you have shared something in a blog or a song or a poem or a podcast doesn't mean that you can't repurpose that content into something else along the way. And people will buy that as then a finished product. But in reference to your question here, Chad, be very, very generous. If you're going to err, err on the side of generosity. I mean, I estimate sometimes that 95% of the people who know about 48 Days, who listen to this podcast, have never paid a penny. They're listeners, they're consumers. They may have gotten a book out of the library or in some way accessed it, borrowed it from a friend, where we've never made money from them directly. And that's fine. Because the 5% who do engage, you know, serve just pretty well. So I don't worry too much about giving away too much. Be very generous, but then be very clear about the resources you do have that will take people deeper into whatever it is that you have to offer. I mean, certainly my coaching is not free. You know, having time is not free. But if somebody is discouraged and needs just an audio program, or access to, certainly, you know, podcasts. We've got years and years of podcasts that people can go to for particular topics as well. You can search in there. So there's that. And we're grateful to have that that we can readily offer to anybody. We don't turn anybody away who needs help. We have lots of resources for them. Now, what they choose to engage in then is up to them. And there are people who want to spend, like I had a gentleman here last Friday, spent the entire day here, and it was quite costly to do that. That's a very particular process that I like to walk through with people. And he chose to do that, even though he has taken advantage of lots of things over the last few years that are totally free. So just have have lots of, if you're on a podcast, if you have an opportunity to speak somewhere, you're going to talk at the local Rotary, have some kind of a free resource that you can give people that then gives them the information that will lead them to other things you have to offer where you can make money as well. So use the free things. It's like, you know, Chick-fil-A. I don't know if they do it anymore or not. Chick-fil-A used to be out in in the mall. You walk through and they're walking around with this delicious chicken, the little pieces with a toothpick in it. They give that to you free, knowing it'll whet your appetite and pull you in where you then order a complete meal. I mean, that's the way you want to see this. So be very generous with your marketing resources leading into those things where specifically you do offer them for money. Greg says, greetings, Mr. Miller. I've been reading your books and love them. They open my eyes to the opportunities all around me. I've been reading through the schedule for 48 Days to the Work You Love. I've been following along in the book. I'm hitting a roadblock, though. I cannot imagine living a life where work isn't the highest priority and use of my time. 
My parents both worked long hours at jobs that they either hated or were treated badly at. So I don't really have good work role models. Have you ever been there? Any advice would be wonderful and welcome. Greg, have a beautiful day. You know, have a beautiful day. Guess what the ringtone is on my phone when somebody calls me and it rings? It's it's a beautiful day by you too. I've had that for years. That's my ringtone. Well, thanks for saying have a beautiful day, Greg. Now, in regard to your question, you can't imagine, you know, living a life where work isn't the highest priority and use of my time. Well, it can be very high priority. My work is high priority, but it's high priority because I enjoy it so much. And that's really the key. I mean, when you say your parents worked long hours at jobs they hated or or where they were treated badly, that's certainly not a desirable goal. I mean, you don't want to settle for that. Absolutely. You don't want to tolerate that. But that's the whole point of what we talk about here, how to find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. So, no, I have never been at work that I hated or work where I was treated badly. Never, ever. I've never had work that I hated. Now, there were things that I did when I was like getting my master's degree and my doc, doing my doctoral studies where I was doing work that I knew wasn't going to be my dream work forever. You know, I painted houses and mowed yards and hung ceiling fans, you know, did all kinds of things like that. You know, the, but, but I enjoyed those. They, I knew they were short term. I love painting as an example in a house you can so quickly see what's done. It beautifies things, cleans them up. I mean, I love doing that. Now, do I want to be a painter for my entire life and have that be the source of my income? No. It was a tool to get me where I wanted to go. But I can't imagine the life you're talking about. I can't imagine a life where I hated the work or was treated badly. You don't have to settle for that. There's too many options today. You can choose, Greg. And it's a mindset where you just expect work to be different than that. I mean, my parents saw work as just something you do to be responsible. You don't ask questions about enjoying it or having it be fulfilling. But I decided I didn't want that. I didn't want to spend my life doing that. You can, you can do the same. Paul says, I lost my job a month ago and started a new one this week. I got a text from my boss this morning saying I'm done. I don't know what to do or where to turn. What advice do you have for someone who's lost two jobs in one month? I'm extremely depressed and I'm struggling to walk out of the house. I feel like I've lost my drive and purpose. I started a small side business before I lost my first job, but it's taken a little while to get customers. I just don't have the cash on hand to market and grow. What do I do? Well, you really are not in all that terrible position, Paul. So you lost a job a month ago and then you just lost another one. I don't know what kind of jobs they were or how much of a fit they were or how fulfilling they were going to be or what they were going to reward you financially. But the fact that you were able to get those jobs is a pretty positive sign. You can do it again. You can do it again. And right now, when companies are so desperate to bring people on, people who have any kind of clear set of skills that aligns with what the company needs to accomplish, there's so many opportunities that's mind-blowing. So hold your head high. Don't try to explain totally. Now, if there are clues as to why you were let go, you ought to be aware of those. You know, might even go ask those people who let you go. Just say, hey, you know, just I'm just trying to make sure I got my head straight for going to look for another opportunity here. You know, or is there something that I can do better 
when I'm looking for a job or something I can do better in my performance to keep a job when I find one again. I mean, ask people who know you well. I mean, be be very self-introspective about trying to identify if there are reasons they're letting you go. But the bottom line is there are a lot of people being let go today who there are not clear reasons why they're let go. Companies just change. I mean, look at Twitter this last week, you know, with Elon Musk taking over and there's 7,500 employees and he let half of them go. I mean, he didn't go through every single one of those and say, well, gee, you haven't been performing well in the last six months. No, he just went through with a big ax and cut a whole lot of people out. I mean, that happens with lots of companies for lots of reasons. Don't get lost in the weeds trying to figure out and understand the reasons. Hold your head high. Be clear on what it is you can do with excellence. Why are you valuable to company? And as long as you know that, go out and get into that position and then keep track of making sure that you are in good graces there, that they do really value and that you're they're going to be wanting to keep you there. Roger says, hey, Dan, uh, we've got a bunch of these this week. Hey, Dan, I'm having trouble keeping jobs. I need help. Do you have any psychologist you would recommend? My insurance runs out at the end of this month, so I need to act fast. I was self-employed for years, but I had to start working for companies again to get a steady paycheck and insurance for my family. My friend that recommended you said I should try to speak with you in person. I don't know if you have time to do this, but if you do, please let me know. I really need help understanding what I'm doing wrong in the workplace to keep getting laid off or fired. Well, much like, you know, much like uh, that uh, Greg that I just talked about here, or Paul that I just talked about, who was also, you know, got a job, lost it, got another job. After a week, he lost it. You know, the same thing. You keep losing jobs. Certainly, you ought to be able to see some repeated patterns here. You know, are you showing up late? Are you hard to manage? Are you questioning everything the bosses say, resisting doing that? You know, there may be some obvious things like that that you're doing, but if you keep trouble or if you're having trouble keeping jobs repeatedly, yeah, there's something about you where people are saying, we don't want this guy on our team. And that's worth taking a hard look at and recognizing what is that so you can change it. And yes, if you need a psychologist or a coach, certainly we do have those. If you go to 48days.com and just go to resources, go to coaching, fill out that little form there. We'd be happy to talk to you about somebody that we have that can work with you. Now, I was just I was just thinking, do we have any psychologists? We probably do have some trained psychologists. We have people who are trained in all kinds of areas where they now are focusing that on helping people with their career selection. So we probably do. But uh, yeah, by all means, reach out. We'll help give you some honest feedback about how to stop losing jobs. Michael says, I have an ideal job, but I really hate it. I have a great work-life balance. I work three days a week. I'm with my young kids the other days. But work itself isn't enjoyable. I feel like those days I'm punching the clock and looking forward to leaving. The job isn't fulfilling, but it's so ideal. I want to make a career change that will likely mean I work more days. I'm not adverse to working more. I'm a doctor, and I worked for long hours for many years. The new career change would mean more leadership opportunity and more work hours. But I enjoy my work more 
but I feel guilty because it means less time with my kids. I've tried to enjoy my current position, but I don't think I can. What's better? Work more in a job you don't love or less in a job you dislike? Wow, that's a that's a really interesting dichotomy there, Michael. What's better? Work more in a job you love or less in a job you dislike? Well, there's a whole lot of factors here, and you've shared some interesting background information, what you're sharing here. So you're working three days a week. You're a doctor. And that gives you four days a week to spend time with your kids. Now, there are a lot of people in the medical professions who do work three days. They work three 12-hour shifts. That's 36 hours and get paid for 40 hours. That's a pretty cool deal, personally, I think. And then they have four days off where you can do something else. But what you really want to look at is, what is the life I want to live? If you realize the value of having four days a week to spend time with your kids, I mean, kids grow up really quickly. If, if you've got kids, say, that are 6, 8, and 10, another 10 years, those kids are going to be you know, gone or going off to college. You know, that's a real critical decade. You may decide, yeah, this isn't my ideal work. It may not be really fulfilling, but it's provided me a great income, and it's a vehicle to allow me to address the things that are even more important in my life, that being my family. This is a season. I mean, there were things I did when our kids were small that I wouldn't do now. I mean, I work more hours now than I did with when our kids were small. When our kids were small, we spent a lot of time together. We did things together a lot. Our boys got involved in bicycle racing. I would go with them week after week. A lot of times, Joanne and Ashley would join us as well. We spent a lot of time on the road doing because that was important for their development right then. I put my work things on hold a lot during those years. Now that they're gone, I have more time that I can devote to work. So you go through seasons of life, value the season that you're in and see it as such. This is not a forever kind of thing. It sounds like you have... You know, you say you have an ideal job, and it sounds like you've got some priorities there that are in pretty good shape. I mean, you may be, as a doctor, I mean, you could work at the emergency room, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, as an example, and make incredible money doing that, and then have the rest of the time free. Wow. But but decide what kind of life you want to live. Don't just see that it's as either I'm a great dad or I'm great at my work. You can do both. And this may be a season that you're going through where you've got the ideal setup. Robert says, Dan, I'm an over-the-road trucker and I've hated my job for years. I've sacrificed time with family my own, and my own health for the last 19 years. I've wanted to quit for years, but it's our only source of income. I'm a wife and two boys. My wife has student loan debt, but no job to show for it. We're both in our 50s. Well, we want to be our own bosses, but no ideas on how to do it. Only that I want to help people. My passion is singing. Um, I've recently discovered that I like to write. I started a blog. I'm a stage three cancer survivor, battling high blood pressure, hypertension, back and neck problems, all of which are job-related. I feel trapped and worn out, living paycheck to paycheck, literally help. Well, at times like this, you have to take a fresh sheet of paper, so to speak, and identify, Robert, 
What are your skills and abilities? What is it that you do well? To be an overroad trucker, you obviously have a, a wide variety of skills that you have. But identify what are those things that you can identify that would have value for any company, any work situation. But then also look inward at yourself. What are those personal skills? What is your disc report? How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments do you really thrive in? How important is it to have time with your family? What are the ages of your boys right now? Again, what season of life are you in? Those are all things that you want to identify. And then look at those recurring dreams and passions, things that you have. We had a couple that came to one of our events. This is uh, several years, well, it was 10 years ago because I just got an update from him to what made me think of him. But she was a chiropractor. He was a corporate guy and they wanted more adventure in their lives. After that event, they decided they were going to live on the road and they got an RV. Well, but then there's the issue of, gee, how are we going to create income? So he became a distributor for a couple different RV products. So they would go to shows and they would take orders for these products that provided them a wonderful income, but they also got to just travel for 10 years. They've been living on the road. Now they've decided that they want a new season in their life, so they don't want to just be living in an RV. In this next 10-year season, they want to spend a lot of time on the water, so they want to have time that they can live on a boat, and they're figuring out what that's going to look like. But there are really a lot of opportunities like that where you could transfer your skills as a trucker. You know, maybe that you are not an over-the-road trucker, that you do something just close by, or maybe that you do want to get off the road. I mean, certainly you can list skills that would be applicable for that, that would give you opportunities other than just what you've been doing. But this is that time to go back to the kind of the starting box. What are your skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? And from those, you can get clear on, okay, what are the opportunities? I'm looking here. You know what I'm going to just, I'm going to just grab one more. This is interesting. Mary says, I was working in publishing in London, but after the years of a three-hour commute, which was affecting my quality of life. I took the first publishing job that came up in my town. I knew it was a junior position and I was prepared for the pay cut. But three weeks in, I realized the new job is just administration. I'm wasting my talents and I'm worried that this has been a career mistake. However, today, a staff writer resigned, given a short notice period. I want to go for it. One reason for taking this job was to have a foot in the door for just such an opportunity. But as it's happened so soon after starting, I don't want to come across as ungrateful, rude, or dissatisfied. The job is within the same department and team. I don't want to upset the powers of be. Any thoughts? Thanks for your help, Dan. Mary, go for it. Go for it. This may be Providence laying an opportunity in your lap. Absolutely. If you know that you are a writer, and here we got a staff writer position that's being open. In three weeks, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You don't have to just put in a year just to show your gratitude for them giving you that opportunity. Absolutely not. You raise your hand and say, wow, I feel like this is the reason I showed up here. It's for that kind of position. Let them know your passion for that, your capabilities, 
why you're a candidate for that? Same thing. You, you sold them on hiring you for the position that you're in. Do the same thing. Use that same, the same interview finesse to make you a candidate for what it is that this new job is going to have. I, I would see that as just an absolute miracle that this job is available so soon after you arrived and here you are ready to go. Well, hey, I'm going to wrap it up with that. We're going to just wrap it up reminding you, sending your questions, 48days.com slash askdan. Our resource is at 48days.com slash disc, D-I-S-C. Again, thanks for listening. Hope this has been encouraging. It's been kind of a mellow um, podcast today, I think, with these questions that all lined up. But I want to remind you again about the power of having meals with other people. Like the Bible talks about breaking bread together. There's a real powerful concept there. But thanks for listening. Thanks for sending your questions. Thanks for being open to growing and for being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Hey, share this episode with three of your friends who are also committed to personal growth. Think about times where you can get together with other people to share a meal together. You know, the next book I'm working on has to do with just that, the power of those connections and how we can foster those connections that open new doors of opportunity. I'm excited about working on that and a lot of resources pulling together and that's one we'll be releasing in 2023. But stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. See you back here next week again after we now have our goals clearly set and know what the next year is going to bring us. Have a great week.